Coffee's ready. Guest is ready. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Prodigy Podcast. We are on episode 41. Today's guest is Ashley Bendel. Ashley, how are you? I'm good, thank you. To dive straight in, when I was I was re- I was kind of researching more about you, mm-hmm. watching some of your fights, is I mean you've been asked a million and one times about when you started jujitsu. <laughs> For those who don't know, Ashley started very young. Yeah. But what interested me was that the, the more people do jujitsu, uh, and maybe more so kind of as an adult when you're conscious about your identity more, is that there's there's a point I feel there's like a a, a time that you do a length of time in which you do jiu-jitsu in which suddenly being someone who does jiu-jitsu and being a grappler is like part of your identity you go it you go from like uh two separate things like you you are a grappler and you're a person who does it to this is part of who you are and and for you was there because you started young did that come quite did did that just happen naturally was that or did that always almost feel like your identity? I think so. And there's definitely been a conversation I've had with my coach in the past of trying to like separate my me, not just being a grappler. Because I obviously mm-hmm. grew up in the sport and like like everyone in the sport, I think I've had ups and downs with it. And for me at times I think I in my head I was just a grappler. I was just someone who done jiu-jitsu. And like I think obviously like you said, you become at some point that becomes you part of you and obviously that was I had that so young that I kind of had to be able to detach myself away from it in a way I had to do the opposite to what people actually done in terms of like normally people are like yes let's embrace it this is now me I had to kind of go this isn't just me this Mm -hmm. is just a part of me which is an interesting way to think about it and I think it's going to be something that you'll see more and more from younger athletes coming through because there's a lot more young athletes that started like I started when I was five years old there's going to be more and more kids that have started at that age and I think this is going to be a conversation and a topic that's going to come up a lot of how they now have to detach themselves and not kind of put themselves into just being that for me I think in my head I enjoyed jiu-jitsu for a long time never thought I was just jiu-jitsu but then as I got older I realized that it was basically all I thought of myself as. And then I had to kind of pull myself away from just being that and add in more into it at the same time. How, how, how do you, if you don't mind saying, how is there, is there a particular process that you kind of were, were you going, I'm going to take time to explore other parts of myself or do other things or because as an athlete you obviously still have to dedicate a, a certain amount of time to continuing being an athlete so how, how do you how do you explore that kind of thing I think it was more allowing myself like not just even when I'm in training letting myself go a little bit more and enjoying the process and not just being like I must do this perfectly it was kind of like going yeah cool I can do this great but let's kind of adventure out. let's just play let's just not put that pressure on myself as much but also like outside of jiu-jitsu, even if I was with the team, learning to enjoy what we were doing, whether that was literally, we went Christmas and we went axe throwing as a team. We do things like that. And it was kind of like learning that I'm not just a grappler. I am a human being outside of the sport as well. And allowing myself to experience the normality of life in a way. That's the only way I can think about it. It's, it's a really fascinating topic and on a on a bef- before we continue that this path who you won the axe throwing 
You were the best axe thrower in the I team. I was one of the worst, I won't lie. It was me and one of the other boys throwing for last place. <laughs> it was not going well. As long as it doesn't bounce back and hit anyone, it counts as a success it story. It really happened a few times. That's the worst part. Like, <laughs> there was a few times where we thought we were going to accidentally really hurt someone. I realized if it was a zombie apocalypse, I am dying. I am going out first because I cannot axe throw. I cannot use weapons in any way, shape, or form. Who is the best axe thrower in the team? Probably Ash. Quite sadly, it was probably Ash. I <laughs> feel like if, I feel like it for some reason that I associate that aesthetic with Tom Barry. I don't know why, but I see Tom Barry with an axe. I think he was pretty good at it, but he was literally just like launching them at them, just going <laughs> back to back. And I'm like, someone is going to get hurt. <laughs> one of our other teammates threw one and we were all like, wait, you weren't supposed to throw if someone just walks forward and we're like, you're going to die. Somebody's going to hurt themselves. It's always one on the team. We've got There's plenty of those one. ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it fascinates me the because, like you say, there are so many kids now who are doing jujitsu, um, and sport is such a is such an amazing thing, but it's also quite an enveloping thing, mm-hmm. um, and it can shape you and it can do great things for your character. But just like anything, you 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 throw yourself into it, and you can you know like <laughs> the quote we used before, you can go down the rabbit hole and. And suddenly you forget that there's there's this whole other world out there. Yeah. Um, and actually, when you're older, you want to kind of explore that part of yourself, but you may not have the t- the luxury of time to do that. Yeah, I know it's with like the luxury of time, like in the lifestyle, I'm thankful to lead it and I've never changed it. But literally like last week, I've been away for like the last two, three weekends and I'm away for the next three or four weekends. <laughs> So it's kind of like, okay, cool, there isn't that luxury of time. But at the same time, it forces you to kind of cram everything in. And you kind of just enjoy a roller coaster. Whereas like normal people enjoy like, a, oh, I get a weekend out, do I do this? I'm literally like, no, nah, we've just got to enjoy this roller coaster and see what we're doing and go along for the ride, basically. It's great. And like, I wouldn't change it. But at the same time, it's an interesting and very, very different like experience to what a lot of people have. And obviously growing up in that situation, like I went through school, through college, through university with trying to compete, trying to train, trying to teach. I was sitting on aeroplanes writing essays because I had no other choice. I remember I was out at Worlds or Pan Ams and I had to make my university lecture change the turning date for an, for an essay because I was like, I'm on a flight at that time and there is no hope of me turning in an essay in those 12 hours. To be fair, she done it for me, and I was like, "Thanks very much." I feel like you got to be a pretty nasty professor to <laughs> to, to to not give show a little bit of flexibility, right? I think I was lucky I done a sports degree, to be honest. <laughs> I like because I remember in when I done my A levels, one of my lecturers hated the fact I done sport because I'd be out quite a lot, and she was like, "No, you must like dedicate all your time to this." And I was like, "No, not I'm gonna, gonna do shit too." <laughs> Sorry, but I've got to get to a competition, so exactly. it's not going to happen. I was like, oh, by the way, I'm away that week of like, well, we've got to do something. I'm in a different country. <laughs> how how uh, early into kind of how how young were you when you first did your like a big international competition? Did you said was it so you were sixth form, like a teenager. 
high late teens yes I actually didn't compete internationally until I was 17 um I managed they done one year the Abu Dhabi World Pro done like a juvenile team and I managed to qualify as part of that um they basically done it if you won one of their trials you went straight into the team and I managed to get there and I ended up in Abu Dhabi one year and I realized I think on that trip was like my turning point of when I was Mm -hmm. like this is what I want to do and I loved the experience, loved every moment of it and realized that I compete on like a, quite the highest tournament at that point I'd done is like the British Open. And it's not quite the same experience of being surrounded by jiu-jitsu people as doing worlds or anything like that. And I think at that point I was like, I love what I'm doing and just experiencing that solidified everything. Like growing up in school, they'd be like, get a realistic goal. But me doing that made me realise this is a realistic goal. And from that moment on, I started to compete at bigger international tournaments. I remember that year I looked at my parents and went, can we go? Like I locked into IBJF tournaments and they were holding one in Paris that summer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, can we go to Paris on these dates? And they were like, yes, I know what you want. But yeah, (laughs) we go to Paris on those dates. (laughs) Ashley doesn't want a trip to Disneyland, for God's sake. I got a trip to Disneyland. Yes. (laughs) Wait, which order? So I think I competed, then went to Disneyland. <laughs> yes, the good order. I've done it as well in California where we go out. I think it was in Disneyland, like two days before going to an American Nationals in Vegas. I'm just sitting there with an ice cream going, I've got to make weight in two days. <laughs> Having a word to yourself on a roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I think that's the best way. I can't imagine... Uh... If, if you're feeling nervous about a competition, that's probably the most distraction that you could get is if you're on a roller coaster, like just going on roller coasters all day, there's no way you can stress about being on comps. No, you're literally like, I get to go and see Mickey Mouse from this corner and then compete in Worlds, like another in the next day or something. The only problem is with Worlds, I've always done it the other way where I've competed, then gone to Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when you're going that far, that's probably the responsible yeah. thing to do. Yeah, I think my coaches would have been like, what are you doing if I'd have done Disneyland before Worlds? <laughs> Who's your favourite Disney? Like, when you go to Disneyland, do you hunt down? Is there, you know, like the character going around? Is there a particular person you're like, when I get eyes on them, I'm going for them? For a long time, yes. <laughs> but now I'm more like, I want to go on the roller coasters and eat the food. <laughs> I, it's, I, I, look, hands up. I was there. <laughs> that I was a uh, a uh, 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 way too you know probably older than I should have been like getting way too excited about seeing Mickey Mouse and it's a great experience. and 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 the poor fucker who was in that <laughs> Mickey Mouse costume has got a grown adult like getting really excited <laughs> who's got two cauliflower ears like going Mickey <laughs> at least you didn't stop crying <laughs> happens to the best of us <laughs> with with those kind of experiences growing up and now kind of looking back on it do you feel like for other people that they're or for like guiding now people that who are coming through your gym Mm -hmm. and who are going through particular like same experiences you can now give a better guiding hand and help kind of almost ease them in if if you if you see them going down that path almost kind of give a, a lending hand to them Oh, 100%. I've actually had this conversation recently with some of our students and like some of the 
especially the young girls, I never had that role model growing up that was female in the sport. Like, the only person that was competing internationally really was Ash. And Ash isn't old enough compared to me to be, like, ahead that I could always be like, oh, look what he's doing. We were always quite, like, we were going to, like, Pan Ams and Worlds together to go and compete. But, like, now I get to stand there and, like, it's really hard, especially being a female in the sport and especially under 18 female in the sport. So I get to like look at some of these girls and be like, look, I've been exactly where you are. I know the exact motion you're going through. I know the exact feelings you're having, how it is training with like guys that are 80 kilos when you're 50 or 60 kilos. I know what it's like. And I get to stand there and be like, look, this is how I solved it. This is how I worked on it. It might not work for you, but at the end of the day, that's a better solution than you hating the sport in the long run. Obviously, my goal isn't necessarily to keep those girls fully in the sport. It's always to just have enjoyment of the sport. And if the enjoyment of their life is meaning that they have to leave the sport, then I'd 100% support that because as long as that is their choice and they're not being forced upon it. But I definitely get to like pull and like help along a lot of the younger athletes coming through. Like we have a few teenagers that are fantastic and they're teenagers at the end of the day. And sometimes like they stray off a bit or they try and do something. I'm like, whoa, now hold up. We need to just <laughs> take a step back. But they don't take offense to it when I go, look, you need to chill out. Because I'm like, I tried what you're doing right now. It doesn't work the way you think it works. And I get to help them in that way. And it's great being able to be that role model and for them to be able to look at, like, I know some of them would prefer to walk up to me and go, this is happening because they know I'd have had a similar experience to them. than maybe walking up to one of the other coaches who didn't train so young because they might be frightened that they just palm them off or be like, mm-hmm. ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Whereas like, I just look at them and I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what it's like rolling with the people at a- either A, want to think you're fragile little glass that like roll with you and they're like oh my god you'll break all the people that will try and absolutely destroy you for their ego and I'm that person that just looks at them and go look you either have you have to find the middle ground with people and you have to find the right people to train with but I get to help them and be like it's not you don't have to be fearful of telling people things or saying no to those people it's 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 fascinating in the sense that we do, we hear a lot and it's regularly discussed especially when you see teenage boys in with MMA jiu-jitsu any kind of combat sports gym the kind of you look at them and you go oh the ego's kicked in mm-hmm. kind of puberty's kicked in here we go but we rarely discuss the female side to that yeah. and the 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 kind of it's a tumultuous period for both for uh, both of them and actually there are different problems for female teen for te- female teenagers over male teenagers when they're tra- when they're training, right? Yeah, I think obviously in some ways their experiences cross over, mm-hmm. but there's also different problems in either way. Obviously, I can't speak for the male side of it to the fuller extent. But like for the female side of it, you have a lot of issues in terms of some men won't train with you because they don't feel comfortable training with a girl maybe who's under eighteen, and that's totally reasonable. But then a lot of girls then end up with the issue of if they haven't got enough people around, they kind of end up with like maybe two or three training partners that they can train with, especially if they're in a smaller gym. 
like growing up I was extremely lucky that I had people around me like my dad trains and I could always train with him and like the people he had always trained with but I know for a fact like some girls don't have that luxury so they go into a room and like they also have to go maybe from kids classes to adult classes they have the people around them then that are all being like oh you're doing a man sport and like they have them external pressures of people just telling them what they're doing like isn't female isn't something that they should do as a girl isn't seen as feminine and I think for a lot of girls it's hard to then go through especially with going into a testosterone filled room if they're in adult classes like if you go into a testosterone filled room and you're 60 kilos five foot four like much like I was like it can be really daunting compared to like you're not even strong enough to like hold off these guys that are coming off at you and like I was quite a high grade when I went into the other classes so I could hold my own skill wise but I also know like a fresh new young girl coming into the sport they got put straight into adult classes they have no skill they probably don't have the strength they probably don't even have the confidence to walk up to like one of the coaches and go this person's just demolished me for fun and I think it is as a female in the sport and like going from like I'd say about 13 to 18 is when you see the most dropout rate and I think it's from external pressures from friends and school because unfortunately a lot of the time schools aren't support as supportive of female athletes in sport as they are of male athletes in sport because even though people think they are I think there's always that stereotype of how women should be and they're a bit more like oh yeah but you should focus on your education education is really important but so is your enjoyment of something they should always support that and I think for girls sometimes like that pressure gets a lot then they have friendship and obviously their bodies change and everything along those lines and then you add in a male dominated sport into that and it can pro I think it just becomes a lot for a lot of people and unfortunately if they don't have that support network of their coaches their teammates and like family they're not going to manage to get through it they're not going to manage to be like I can keep doing this and I know like a lot of girls get put off just because guys will either try and demolish them or they'll think they're a piece of glass and not do anything and they'll just let them win and you're like that's great, but that's not teaching either of you anything. At the end of the day, if they rolled really well with them, like, lowered their strength. At the end of the day, if it's a teenage girl, they're not going to be as strong, anywhere near as strong as a 30, 40-year-old man who's 80 kilos. And if someone thinks they are, they are insane. That's the easiest way to think about it. Like, you just got to ease off on that, like, strength and that weight. And if that, like, teenager is a coloured belt they are going to give you some amazing skill. But I don't think people quite realise that if you ease up, you can literally have one of the best roles with a teenager. Some of them will try and demolish you and rip your arm off. But it's just rolling to them rather than being like, oh yeah, I can beat them. Or wait, I might hurt them. It is, it's that thing of, you, you've got to be able, not to, not to suggest that you, uh, you you can't go after submitting that person but you, if you if you're training with especially like you say um like a color belt like let's say a purple belt teenager who's maybe 20 kilos lighter than you if they're gonna go for a butterfly sweep and you know that they would have got it if mm-hmm. you let them like 
let them have it and start working from bottom. Don't be so egotistical that you go, well, they didn't sweep me because obviously I'm much better. No, you've got 20 kilos on them and they just didn't manage to sweep you. I've honestly had to look at some of like how teenage girls have come up and be like, I done this and this guy just like laid on me or just smashed me into the floor and went, that's a them problem, not a you problem. At the end of the day, if they've decided that the only thing they can get from jiu-jitsu that day is to like pin a small female to the floor. This goes for like any women, not just necessarily teenagers. Yeah. If you pin them to the floor and that's all they've done, that's a them problem. At the end of the day, they've got something in their head, like egotistical or anything, that they think that's destroying or beating a small, maybe weaker, less experienced, or even if they're a white belt and you've got some sort of coloured belt, that doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, if they're demolishing you just because they're stronger than you, that's in their own head that they've won. They haven't won anything. I always used to look at people and be like, cool, you just bench pressed a 50-kilo girl. Congratulations. And they'd look at me a bit like, oh, wait, yeah, that's not the most ideal thing. And I'm like, especially when I'd be like, I'm like 16 years old and you've just thrown me off. Well done. And just some people just don't understand that element. And, like, I think ego gets in the way for a lot of people unfortunately and sometimes that just need people just need to realize that small people aren't the reason the people you should be the smoking to just fulfill your ego I always think and it might be controversial but like for myself I don't think of myself fully as I wouldn't get the best rounds maybe from like Ash in terms of if we were both going 100 miles an hour at each other I know he's stronger than me and he's heavier than me but if we both fight like a little, like if he fights more to me, we can get an amazing round. But I get better rounds sometimes from like the purple belts when we're both going hell for leather than I would mm-hmm. from like a black belt, a competitive black belt. Just because sometimes on par is more on par with like skill and my skill level is higher than them. So it balances out the weight and strength difference. But some people get really offended when you say that to them. And at one point I definitely would have. But I definitely thought about it and I was like, I do get better rounds from like some of our lower grades just because we can both go at it without having to worry about hurting each other. But sometimes if you roll with like one of the black belts and they're a bit heavier than you, a bit stronger than you, somebody's going to accidentally get hurt or one of you's going to kick each other in the head because you're both trying something completely crazy or you're both doing really good skill. And then one of you accidentally goes, oh, wait, they moved quicker than I thought. Oh, they done that oh, but now I've pinned them to the floor and then you're a bit like, mm, it doesn't work as well. Yeah, I think the uh, the lower, if there's a, a, a big weight differentiation, then the, the, guy, the, the guy or girl who's at a lower weight has to be a higher belt. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it just works better that way. I completely agree. There, uh, I have someone who I have great rounds with who's, uh, who's you know, I'm a pub, but he's a blue belt. But he's ninety kilos. I'm 70, 79 kilos. Like there's a there's a fair amount of difference, but it balances itself yeah. out. Yeah, you get to a point where you can both work really well together, but you're not given like you haven't got to ease up too much. He hasn't got to ease up, or like you haven't got to push way harder. You're a lot more on par than if you're trying to roll with like if you were rolling with, like a black belt, you'd be a bit like, oh cool, this is really <laughs> hard, and like. If you decided to roll with like a 90, 100 kilo purple belt, it's going to be a lot harder for you than it would be for them. 
and it's just recognizing like everything like that people like I said get offended when you say that because they're like you're downplaying my skill I'm like I'm not downplaying your skill in any way shape or form I'm just understanding that you are smaller like I'm a 55 kilogram fighter if a 90 kilo man looks at me and it's like let's roll I'm like no thank you but it's also being not afraid to do that to people and I some people get offended then when you say no to them as well well, well, let's go on to that. I mean, you kind of hint, uh, talked about it before about, you know, telling people, great, you've bench pressed a 15 year old girl. Like how as a as a kind of culture in gyms, how how do you address that? Do you just kind of, you know, check people and, you know, give them a bit of a mental remi- a verbal reminder about, you know, where they are and who they're training with? Like how? Because we don't get me wrong, we come across the you might you get different kinds of white belts and some people have an ego and some people don't. But kind of continuing on through the belts and you do hope that it gets better as people get better at jujitsu. But how generally as a culture of a gym, do you address that personally in your gym and that people you think people should? I'm extremely lucky within our gym that we have a very big gym as well. So we have a lot of members and like even within our pro like our pro team were extremely lucky nobody in the room would ever try and hurt anyone else maliciously nobody like if someone did within our pro team especially i know they'd be called out straight away by the coaches and that's like good on our coaches part being able to walk up to someone and be like you've just done that that was done when i was growing up i always got told like don't be afraid to tell someone that they are crushing you and that you can't do jiu-jitsu because you are a tiny human being compared to them. Mm-hmm. And I think some gyms wouldn't necessarily like that approach. I have watched people scream at other people about throwing them off. I'd always just give them like a little bit of a reminder of being like, hey, I am way smaller than you. Or if I needed to growing up sometimes, I'd just be like, I'm not rolling with you. The last time I rolled with you, you decided to throw me off and then just lay on me for five minutes. So I was like, that didn't do anything for my jiu-jitsu. I'm extremely lucky that I'm very close to all our coaches. Like, I'm very close with Chris and Ash. So I know if I was in one of the classes growing up and I was like, that person has just tried to rip my arm off for the last five minutes, I could walk up to them and they'd be like, okay, cool. What can we do to change it? Like, is there a way? Like, okay, we won't go with them again today. Let's see in a few weeks' time. I'll watch them roll with you, maybe. And then if they needed to, they'd obviously approach them and be like, hey, she's way smaller than you. Let's like ease up. They've done it to me when I've tried to like gone into like comp mode and tried to smoke a white belt. And they're like, hey, uh, you've just destroyed a white belt. And I'm like, yeah, really sorry about that. But it's that thing of the coaches not being afraid to call anything out. And I think we're lucky with that approach that our coaches aren't afraid to be like, you're not making this training environment welcoming. But, like, now that's not so much of a problem as we have a very good, even in our public classes, we have a very easy split. Like, we generally have a good split in terms of size, so people haven't got a crossover. So there's not as much of an issue. But also, I think all of our team are very approachable to be like, hey, this person's doing this, or I feel uncomfortable with them because they've thrown me off and stuff like that. And it's just being, like, confident in talking to the people. I know some gyms probably are a little bit hesitant because they're obviously a pay and member. And if they're a smaller gym, they're probably been like, oh, we can't lose them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if they can't take feedback of please don't crush the tiny, small human people in the room, probably shouldn't be on the mat to begin with. 
Yeah, they, they we probably shouldn't be teaching them jujitsu. No, not if they're just going to lay on like the little human being, like the smallest female in the room. You see it sometimes. I've seen it in like different things. It was just like the biggest guys walking up to the smallest person in the room for a break. And I'm like, that's not fun. Just take a break. Yeah. Don't go and crush the tiny human being. You evidently don't want a hard round. So no. just, just, just chill out take a rest round and then go get another hard round like exactly don't pick on the person who's 40 kilos lighter than you no i i i always think there's there's it sometimes it's unsaid and sometimes i've seen people who actually say it that if there is a sizable difference between people you should uh so if for example you're dealing with someone who is considerably bigger than you then you start with one on your back, one standing, and like the the big person has to play guard, and suddenly it becomes uh, a bit more difficult, like that, or kind of putting it, them in uh, uh, almost like positional sparring. We've done just... a lot of that, yeah. We've done like a lot of that, and like we sometimes like put a higher grade or bigger person would have like an extra restriction, maybe that they can't do certain things. In our pro team, we actually do it if there's, like, a big size difference. If we're doing, like, point sparring, it's mm-hmm. like we're doing guard passing and you've just got to score points, we'll actually do two advantages for that smaller person just so they, like, I could get past someone's guard who's, like, 90 kilos, but if I'm securing, like, especially to the level people I train with, to secure them when they're 90 kilos, like, that guard pass is really difficult. So that would be my one advantage. I've just got to do it one more time. And, like, a lot of time, if we're in public classes, we might do, as you said, like, somebody starts in a different position. We do it a lot where we're, like, okay, pick a per, like pick a partner, and then it goes, whoever is the highest grade starts in a negative position. And we do that a lot. And it's a really, really good way to do it. Sometimes I think they still need to be sized, like, accordingly, depending on – it depends more on the person – themselves because some people like i can roll with some 100 kilo men and it works perfectly both of us going hard at each other but then i can roll with other 100 kilo men that literally if i got put in a bad position or even if i was a man they just throw me off and be like yeah i got you off and i'm like yeah you really didn't but cool (laughs) cool great job done yeah it's it's i i get embarrassed for those people because i just think what do you say like what do you in the in the in the classic scenario of what do you go home and tell the wife and kids like how was training <laughs> well do you you know that person who was smaller just about the same size as you son well i just threw them off <laughs> when they did a better job at getting mount on me and i got mounted i just threw them off it's definitely an ego thing unfortunately when you just were like oh yeah you made like a literal child fly across the room like <laughs> <laughs> amazing that's so much fun you've done a 10 out of 10 job and you're like i've literally just thrown up been thrown across the room before and i was like just run straight back at them and be like don't do that again also don't piss off the higher belt because no. usually they'll be chilling like they'll go okay oh yeah I'll, 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 I'll behave myself and and then suddenly you realize that it wasn't at 80%. Like the tap was only at 40 yeah. and suddenly it gets turned to a hundred and you're about to get real bad ego checked. Yeah. When they just throw you off, you're like, well, you've done that to me. Now let's go. 
I love it sometimes, but at the same time, like I'm lucky now I don't have to do it as much. When I was growing up, I think in my head, I was like, I have to beat these people a bit more. Now I'm a bit like, if you want to throw me off, you throw me off. I'll just do jujitsu above you as you're trying to like launch me around the room. Do you think then that uh, touching back on kind of why you think there's that why we see so much dropout, especially in kind of uh, young women, teenage girls? Do you think there's there's something around where people come with like friends or like someone to start jujitsu? How how almost powerful a tool that can be because then they have some they have a partner who you know if helpfully is either um you know a same gender or has the same kind of size and experience at them it just makes such a difference to whether they'll they can kind of measure themselves against both in terms of learning and testing themselves I think definitely like having if you come on your own I think it's a lot more daunting and I think if someone like I know people that come in pairs all the time and like they come as like their partner or their friend or like I introduced my best friend her boyfriend to the sport a couple of months back and like my best friend's been around me doing the sport for 10 years but she came to LS and she was like it's actually nice to have someone like I trained with her and she was like I was able to teach her but she was also able to work with me and it was a bit more like she was like it's better doing that than if I'd have just said to her oh yeah go to a public class without anyone yeah. she'd have probably been like absolutely not she just walked back out of the room and be like I'm gonna go and drink a coffee instead but I think it's definitely if people come together it allows them to kind of as you said gauge where they are but it also gives them that like oh well uh did you understand what was going on today or well, you couldn't do it too oh cool I couldn't do it either oh wait can we try and troubleshoot this together type of thing like I do that now like if I'm struggling with a technique I troubleshoot it with like a partner even like so as a wiper, I think that's an amazing way to get you to stick to the sport is just having two people to troubleshoot together. And like you can always figure out together, like work together a lot better than if you get chucked into a class with somebody you don't know. Let's be honest, you probably don't remember their name after about two minutes. <laughs> so, oh, that's what it's so awkward, man. So I forget awkward. names all the time. And I get to a point where I'm like, I can't ask your name. It's been a few weeks. <laughs> It, it, or or if you've already asked their names in like two previous sessions yep and then they're like and then they say your name and mm-hmm. you just go hey bud oh man how how are you since last class and i do it with kids i teach the kids and sometimes i'm like oh, i've forgotten your name again <laughs> but kids get offended more than adults so i'm always like i can't ask your name for the fifth time <laughs> but definitely like if you're checked into a room with people you don't know, you can't remember their name, you're going to be a bit more like, I don't know if this is for me. Especially women, like most of them, you get checked into a room, you end up being paired with some quite, you always end up being paired with the last person in the room because everyone doesn't want to be with that last person in the room. So you get stuck in them and you're a bit like, oh God. And then I think that puts a lot of people off. Like, so I think if you come with people, at least you can both, just sit there and be like, I have no idea what's going on right now. And it's an interesting sport. So at least if you know people, sometimes you don't want to make physical contact with some random stranger that day. So especially I think for like women, it makes them feel more comfortable coming with someone that they don't mind maybe like hugging. It's great when you watch new people be like, wait, what am I doing? (laughs) You want to stick my hand where? Yeah, exactly. And like if you come in with like a friend or a family member, at least you're like, 
this is a little bit less weird than that gigantic guy that's sitting next to me. Yeah. I think it, it depends on what class, like, especially if you turn up, like like you say, to if it's not kind of a, like, beginner's beginner's class and it's just kind of a normal class and you unfortunately have turned up during the week that everyone's drilling triangles, yeah. which I always think is probably the most daunting of submissions yeah. that you could probably drill um, as your first session, given if people you feel awkward with close contact. <laughs> I just think, oh, you poor fucker like you could have you could have turned up at side control for passing week and these things would have been so much more relaxed for you i taught my best friend her first time i ever taught her anything because i pulled her in for a one-to-one first i taught a triangle because i was like this is the weirdest <laughs> thing you're gonna do let's get it over and done with yeah trust me after like 20 minutes you won't even realize what you do like even exactly. now when you really think about it you go oh yeah i do do that to my friends mm-hmm. like it's like when people accidentally touch my boob or something I'm like oh my god I'm sorry I'm like I didn't even notice you doing this I can notice the intention I'm like yep this would be weird but it's not yeah if we if we kind of accidentally breezed each other by like (laughs) if you did that to your teammates just in the street or to random strangers you'd be like this is weird physical contact but it's cool good yeah you're just like yeah this is normality but obviously if you're brand new coming into the sport it's not quite normality no and jiu-jitsu has like the fantastic the thing i've always loved about a great gym is that it is like and 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 it's but it's the daunting thing that you approach a gym and if you're a new person and you walk in and usually you know if it's just before a class is about to start everyone's sitting on the side chatting there's there obviously will be like lots of little friendship groups and then the wider group and everyone's catching up and if you're approaching that um, and you're sitting on the bench or kind of and the coach is like, oh no come on to the mat and you're going I don't know anyone yeah it, yeah. it is an awfully even as an adult yeah. it's a daunting thing let alone as a teenager or a kid yeah it is very like I think a lot of people go into gyms and they just you see on their face the moment the first person talks to them you can see them just relax slightly like I have the luxury sometimes of being heavily involved in our fundamental classes and for a long time I taught them and people would come in the moment I'd introduce myself you could just see them relax and that's the moment like we'd always try and pair them off with like a slightly higher grade or people we know would sit with them and work with them really well and like the people are over like really really friendly just so we know they'll make a friend straight away because that way it's a bit less daunting for everyone and it makes the job as a coach a little bit easier you haven't got to keep being like are you okay because you know their partner's super sweet and super nice and will help them in any way they can especially if they do if i mean it depends on like how comfortable they are and also kind of the what you're doing at that particular day and gym but like if they go and do some sparring if they then do sparring the first round with someone they're comfortable with they're relaxed with suddenly kind of sets a bit of a precedent yeah it's a lot better when you're comfortable with the people you're training with and like obviously if you go into a gym and you find somebody that's really sweet and nice straight away you're a bit more like oh this is better than I thought and especially I know for some women going to the gym they're like I've spoken some like our um newer less experienced women they're like yeah when I came in it was scary but then people just started to relax them a bit because like we always have like our receptionist talk to them first then they normally find someone in the changing room and all our women are really friendly so they're all like are you here for your first class and then they start a conversation with them. Then they end up with the coach and the coach, they realise is very friendly as well. I think for us, we're lucky in that sense that we chill people out. 
A lot of gyms, unfortunately, don't have the luxury of having like three points of contact. They get one as they walk in. Yeah. And I think that's hard. <laughs> yeah. A changing room is a good place to help people relax, which is it's probably a, a weird <laughs> sentence, isn't it? As I was saying it, I was like, is this is a good thing to say? But yeah. Like this could I... come across a bit odd. <laughs> But it's true, like you come across someone, especially if you're a regular at a gym and you come across someone new and you're like, oh, hi. Yeah. It, it suddenly puts people at ease. Yeah, especially when they see just somebody who's friendly. Because like, I know some gyms you'd walk into and they're all quite culty and quite close and you're like, you'd walk in and you'd be like, well, I don't feel welcome here at all. Even when you walk into like a normal gym, you're just like, oh, everyone's staring at yeah. me. But when you can walk into a gym where everyone's a bit more like, hi. People always say, like, we're really, really, really friendly as a gym. And we always just pull people in. Like, whether they're visiting or it's their first class, we will literally sit and have a conversation about nothing. Like, it'll be some random conversation. We'll be like, oh, do you want to join us? And they're always like, okay, you're really friendly. This is really odd, but you're, it's great. because they're like, It's almost the, the opposite. It's <laughs> like, this is, is this too friendly? Oh, we are overly nice to people. We just love having people around. So, like, when people visit, we love pulling them in. The amount of people that have been like, I love it. I love how friendly you guys are. And we're like, we never get people visiting us. So we need to be. We're in the middle of nowhere half the time. Like a, like a, like a grandma when, yeah. like, the grandkid comes. Oh, just come here. We're like, do you want a coffee? As soon as they come in. Have some food. Don't, don't leave yet. Don't leave it and we're like, do you want to go in the sauna with us? We're all going to sauna. Come with us. They're always a bit like, yeah. <laughs> some, poor, some poor person on their like first class is cutting weight for a competition that they weren't even meant to like, What's going doing? on? Yeah, like their first class, they just walk in and they're like, but to be fair, everyone walks in and they're like, you're all really nice. And we're like, yeah, cool, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we're psychopaths, but only in terms of because we love this thing. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's a bit... We always say everyone's got to be a bit crazy to do jujitsu. Most definitely. A little bit. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we've we've talked a lot about general gym environments, but um, for those who aren't aware, you train at Chris Reese Academy and get ready for the worst pronunciation because <laughs> you guys picked a name that's in Welsh. Yep. Dra- drag? Close Dra- drag. Drag. There right. you go. <laughs> I can roll my R's. Perfect. so that helps um i just yeah rules yeah <laughs> um which means dragon i googled it and i was like i should have known that based on the symbol but it's good that i checked our rash guards all of dragons down the back if you watch us compete we have matching uniform and everything i mean the fact that i didn't make that connection <laughs> is um a, a kind of reflection of my education let's say <laughs> To be fair, it's the Welsh language. It's a bit weird as well. All languages are weird. <laughs> Words are weird. When you really think about oh god, this is a weird rabbit hole. When you really <laughs> think about it, all languages are weird. We're just making noises yep. and people are going, Yeah, that means stuff. Yeah, you're like, Yeah, that sounds about right, right? Cool. Yeah. That, we'll go with like that. if you if you didn't know that it, like what English was and then you heard it, you'd be like, You're just making noises, mate. Yeah. That's what Welsh sounds like, though, when you speak actual Welsh. And people always like, there's a place near here that's called Llechli. And like, anytime someone comes down, they're like, Llechli? And they're like, <laughs> not quite, but cool. I know where you're talking about. Yeah. We have like two Scottish boys that have moved down and they're like, 
we are staying in Clannelly. And I'm like, Clannelly? But we'll get there. We're, we'll, we'll get a Welsh person of you, make a Welsh person of you, yeah. <laughs> They're staying with Ash as well, so he speaks fluent Welsh, so you can go with it. <laughs> How about you? I don't speak fluent Welsh, I barely speak English. <laughs> English is enough, you don't need to stop messing around with no, Welsh. I don't need Welsh, I can speak very little Welsh and I'm happy with the little Welsh I know. Yeah, you can speak enough Welsh where you can correct people and that's the perfect Ish. amount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can say place names to a degree. What else do you need, right? Nothing. Everything else can be Google translated. Um, well, I wanted to talk about the environment because it's what f- what I well, for for anyone who hasn't met any of the guys and girls from your team, you could do live up to the reputation of the most friendly bunch in the world. Um I told Tom Barry, I need to get Tom Barry on, but um, I told him that I'm going to start calling him the jelly bean man because I'm pretty sure all I see him, as much as I see him compete, I see him eating like jelly beans oh, at competition. Oh, and it's the greatest thing. He's, he's insane. We all love him, but he is absolutely insane. You never know what's coming out of his mouth. <laughs> it's it's great. But you're as a team, you're all overly friendly i promise people it's not a trap (laughs) this isn't a get out situation or anything like that like they are just really really nice that's how we are as a team we all have a great bond and we like to share the bond with everyone else basically (laughs) but being a team uh of quite i think what is unique about you is and it's growing in your team is that you have a huge amount of high-level competitors coming out, and then um, especially uh, not only in gi, but especially in no gi, that's become, become more prevalent um, as you guys go on. But do you think that being in uh, an environment, especially as you've all kind of come up together, um, of high-level competitors and having a pro team of that nature that is going out every other weekend or every weekend competing? has has made such a difference for you yeah it definitely has like we have a really good core group of guys i think we have like 20 on our about 30 actually on our pro team all of us have the same goals and the same aspirations obviously we're all at different points in those aspirations in terms of like some of us are black belts and we have white belts on the team we always say like the white belts have to do their time to get to the black belts and like they just have to keep working and like for myself it's definitely allowed like an environment where I can succeed but I also have a very good support network there and it's also allowed me to keep like a good standard of training like growing up I didn't necessarily have everyone around me to make my training the best it could be Whereas now we have such a good team that we always have a good standard of people there. And we're all constantly pushing each other. We push each other in the nicest way possible. We kind of like encourage everyone to do what they can. But we also hold each other accountable. Like if one of us isn't making weight, we all get pulled in to figure out how we can all make weight. Like. Mm-hmm. A few of the guys before Christmas were a bit too close to weight for a few competitions. And what they introduced was we just have random weigh-ins sometimes, especially in tournament season. 
like around this time of year, obviously we've got tournaments back to back and we don't want people missing weight. So it's just pulled in and everyone's like, okay, you need to make sure you're not 10 kilos above your weight class, basically. If you're going to get there, you have to know you can get there safely. And we don't do it in like a really mean way where we're like, everyone must weigh in front of everyone. We're just like, you need to weigh. We need to make sure we're all on weight because we hold each other accountable in that way. And if one of us kind of misses weight, then it's kind of like, oh, wait, all of us should have been making sure that they were doing really well as well. But like we all make sure that we're all in the right place at the right time doing things what we need to. If one of us isn't lifting, we're called out on that. We're all kind of making sure that everyone's doing what they need to do while also providing a fun kind of relaxed environment for everyone. It's kind of like that really weird family relationship where we're all like, you must be doing this, but do you need a hug today? Because you look upset (laughs) about something. Like, I know how many times I've looked at one of the boys and been like, are you okay? And then they'll tell me their life problem, but we'll go straight on the mat and have a throwdown. And like, I think for a lot of people, like they don't have like 20 people that they can turn to. But I know I have that option that if things... Like, if I wasn't where I wanted to be or something was happening, I could literally look at one of them and be like, I need help with this. And we have so much knowledge within our team, like, from nutrition to lifting to just jujitsu to life in general. Like, we have the ability to pull on each other and make sure everyone's where they need to be and allows us all to, like, succeed in our own ways. And, and I mean, it's the it's kind of two questions that come to mind. The first being that... A professional environment like that like things like helping each other keep weight and um when to to help our sport grow and to become we there's lots there's always lots of discussion around how do we make our sport uh, especially our professional sport more professional yeah. if you will um especially in kind of the still small circle that uk jiu-jitsu is let alone jiu-jitsu around the world and i think that's one of the things is how do you create um those distinctions in the gym is that how how as athletes do we treat ourselves as professionals both not just individually but as a team yeah I think like that the accountability is a massive thing and like Ash and like the team like I know Chris and like we've got Josh the coach like quite high up within our team they've all sat down and tried to think about how we can make our team more professional that's where like the weigh-ins came from. It was more to make sure that everyone is professional about their weight, but it also makes sure we're tracking people like if they're not following a diet, like if they're going out every weekend and getting hammered, then we'll be able to pick it up off the weight if we weigh on a Monday morning. But like we also like if someone's not turning up to training, they have to answer to a coach at some point. Like if someone missed a week of training, unless they've given a pre-reason why, if they turned up and went, I just didn't feel like training. One of the coaches would be like, well, that's your own fault. You're not a professional athlete then. And there'd be something like whether that be they just have to sit and watch for a few days or there might be a repercussion in that way. But we also do a lot of check-ins. So like every week we get a weekly check-in sent to us and we have to fill out how much we've lifted, if we're tracking our food and stuff like that, just to kind of make sure we're all being professional about it but we're also holding ourselves accountable but it also gives us an opportunity to talk to the coaches like if we had a problem that week 
it gives us the option to walk up like we can put it in that form and they'll pull us to one side and be like okay let's talk about the situation let's figure out how we can improve on that and like we do it with lifting as well we obviously have to do that but recovery all our recovery stuff's in there as well we have to say what we've done for recovery that week and I think that allows us as a team to just be more professional and just allows us all to improve ourselves but also make sure we're performing at our best because if we all put in as the whole team that we were exhausted that week the following week would be a lighter week for us just to make sure we don't end up burning out all the athletes as well I think people can hear that and go that sounds almost quite brutal but actually I think what I've come one of the questions I've got written down and it sounds quite ominous is like the overbearing weight of responsibility of being an athlete but there's there's a truth to that in the sense that when you look at jiu-jitsu um, unless this isn't a team sport and yet the reason that we see I'm trying to think of like okay so to for example boxers uh, or power lifters they have coaches across the spectrum for every aspect of their their lifestyle and their professional career and they have um but what that also is is not only people to share the responsibility and to hold you responsible but also to support you and to be uh you know i i I believe that you know mental health and well-being is as important a thing as as making jujitsu better and all of those things that you guys are doing are actually making sure that you're checking in and looking after one another. Because I think the worst thing that I can imagine as a professional athlete is, you know, for, if for life reasons you start to let things slip, there's no one there to kind of pick you up and hold you responsible, but also to kind of help you get back on track. Yeah. And like you mentioned at the beginning of that about it being maybe people might view it as brutal what we've got to do. But at the end of the day, if you want to be an athlete within the sport, there's certain sacrifices you've got to make. And honestly, if any of us thought it was like hard to do or like wasn't doing well for us, we'd literally walk up to a coach. All of us have a relationship with the coaches. So I could walk up to them and go, you're driving me insane with all these requirements. But you'd never look at like, say, somebody who was a swimmer. You probably look at what they're doing. They're doing five times as much as us because their sport is that much more professional and developed. And unfortunately, if we want to make our sport bigger and better, we have to take this accountability and we have to be able to do what we're doing now and just to build on what we've got. I think a lot of jiu-jitsu athletes view it as like the jiu-jitsu lifestyle. And the jiu-jitsu lifestyle often means not being on time, not worrying about anything. And I'm like, but if you want to be taken seriously as an athlete, you can't just turn up to training half an hour late. You can't just tell people, I, I I don't need to lift. When people are like, I just live on acai, and I'm like, no, you, no, that's not how life works. We always just like, when people are like, oh, I just do acai and jiu-jitsu, I'm like, nah, there's something else in there. You've got to be honest about it. It's like all the time people don't take that responsibility, and that's never going to make a professional. But I think a lot of teams kind of like gatekeep that in the past as well, of like you look at Atos and AOJ, None of them, like, although they do great training, you probably got them doing similar things to us, that they're doing check-ins with coaches, that they're lifting, they're doing their nutrition. But, like, people just, I think especially in the UK, they kind of have a more chilled and relaxed environment. And that's kind of, I think, why we're behind in some ways, because not many teams have ever held each other accountable. 
and especially if you mentioned the mental health factor of it all like it's hard being an athlete and I think especially if you're a young athlete you miss out on a lot of things like I've missed birthdays I've missed parties I've missed everything like that and I think for a lot of younger people like that's their escape and like but you miss out on that and being able to check in with your coach in that way and keep that professionalism that just helps to prevent you or allows you to express any issues you're having so you don't just sit there like mulling it over being like this is going wrong in training but I can't tell anyone because nobody wants to listen whereas we have a very open policy with that like if one of us is having a tough time you just tell someone none of us are going to ever judge you none of the coaches are going to palm you off and I think that allows for a very very professional and easy environment for us it's like an easy going yet like very professional environment we have we're always bantering but if one of us is falling behind we're pulling each other on it like we always banter about like some of the guys don't turn up to training because they wanted to sleep in that day but it's like that type of you need to hold yourself accountable and if it does become a problem then someone will pull them properly and have a chat with them and i mean the it some you may some people think it's the last person who's going to say it to you but sometimes your coach will turn around and go i can imagine for young athletes as well i don't know if your uh, coach has ever said it to you but like go to the party like treat yourself once in a while it'll be good for you yeah like i know for a fact growing up my coach until i started to take it like now he'd probably be like yeah maybe don't go and get hammered on a sunday night and come and train on a monday morning but they'd never be like you can't do that like whenever we compete after ADCC trials in Poland, we all went out and like had a night of just drinking and letting it go and just celebrating our win. But then two days later, we were back in the UK, back on the training mats. And it's that kind of like, enjoy yourself, but don't take it to an extreme. Like if we were out every weekend, yeah, they'd pull us. But if we're going out like once every few months or like enjoying ourselves, and we, we always say, go for food that's fine enjoy that element but be aware that if you're not in training on a monday morning ready to train that's your fault and something has to be changed i mean adcc trial celebrations must have been fun it was interesting <laughs> i remember 90 percent of that evening i also remember 90 percent that is a that is a high percentage don't be ashamed of that percentage 90 percent is a lot i feel like there's probably a lot of your team who have a much lower percentage if i ask we have some interesting stories from that night and i just remember sitting there with like a cup of water being like yeah i can't move i need a drink i just need to drink water for a bit well i mean as we're on the topic now um you had uh uh, although you, you you didn't get what you were going after you still had a mass a wildly successful trials both as a team and as an individual yep. as an experience for the for the first time i believe yep. um what, what was that like for you so with trials a lot of people get surprised that we didn't go out there with me intending necessarily to win we went out there with my intention of just experience because I'd never done an ADCC rule set in anything I had no idea of the rules I had like a vague idea but literally like as a team we were like is this a rule I don't know we better ask someone (laughs) like it was a bit of a mess to be honest like we knew the rules to a certain degree 
But obviously they're really complicated and they just seem to check in new things and be like, yeah, that one will do. So we were just completely winging it on the day. But when I went out there, it was kind of like, we always had that like thing of I could win gold, but just the experience was more of what we were going for. And the day was a bit of hell, to be honest. It was a 14 hour day from weigh-in to fight, like actually leaving the building. We did not go prepared. I think in between us all, we had about a litre of water each. Jesus Christ. Yeah. (laughs) I had gummy bears and rice cakes. I don't think half the team had food with them because we were like, oh, I'm surely there's going to be something near the venue that we could pop out and get it. Yeah. Nothing. And the way the fights were, because they were doing them really weird, they do them like rounds. Mm -hmm. Because of that, it meant that we were on back to back. Uh, and then we'd have like a random break but they kept having issues with the system of like one point it jumped from fight one to like a fight 180 so we were all like what is going on so we didn't actually have time to even leave the venue we sent ash's wife and josh's wife out to get us food but i was going straight on so i couldn't even eat the pizza which was the only thing they could find in the area but like we had a long day that day we learned some valuable lessons about taking food and water with us to the next trials and being prepared for a 14 hour day. Cause we honestly thought that we'd be in and out or we could be there for a while. We'd have a few hours between divisions, but I think I had a two and a half hour break between one of my fights and it was not fun. You'd warm up, you'd cool down and it's an interesting format to the tournament but honestly, as a team, we performed amazingly. Like, I obviously got silver. Ash obviously qualified and done amazing. Two of our teammates then, I think in the under 77, so Tom Barry and Jamie Dix, both got taken out by the finalists of that division. Like, Tom Barry got took out by Tarza quite, I think it was only by like an advantage, like basically like an advantage or like a random penalty or something like that. And I believe Jamie was very similar. So it wasn't as if we underperformed as a team. We went out and showed people what we can do. And it was a very good day for all of us. Obviously, the boy, two of the boys didn't get what they wanted, but they got phenomenal experience. And I know they're going for the next trials. Well, I, I, at least now, I mean, I know some people are unhappy about the fact that Charles has been moved, but at least now you know exactly where you're going to be. Yep. You know exactly <laughs> the requirements and what the local cuisine is like. It makes sense why my opponent in the final had a packed lunch with her. <laughs> we did not prepare. But yeah, definitely being in Poznan will be good again. They had an amazing steak there last, where I know you'll find our team every night. <laughs> So will you, will you be preparing? Are you looking to go to Poznan and fight again um, yeah. for this trials? Um, and if so, when for you, when do, when do preparations start? Is this something that you're already getting ready for? Or do you kind of, how as a team and again as an individual, do you look to prepare for such a big competition? So in some ways, I've actually been preparing for a little bit longer than some other people because... I weigh 55 kilos and I have to fight in the under 60 kilogram division because ADCC only provide two female weight classes. Which and is shit. Just yep, call it out that. 100%. Um, hopefully they'll add more. But obviously I can't really step into like a proper, a big tournament like that so much lighter. I got laughed at the last one when I weighed in because I weighed in fully clothed and they just looked at the scales and they were like, nice. And I'm like, yeah. It's great. Mm. 
so I've actually been trying to gain weight and build muscle mass for the last few months. I've been working with um, Grapple Machine because it's actually run by one of our teammates, Tom O'Hagan. And I've been working with him and we're trying to build as much muscle mass as we can between now and trials. Obviously, that can sometimes be limited because there's not that many women in the UK. There's not many tournaments. So I end up having to like jump from like 55 kilos to 60, 65 kilos. or so I've got to be like 58. So I'm like up and down weights all the time. But I know, I think we don't really train lightly, if that makes sense. Like we never take mm-hmm. up off the pedal. We'll have like lighter weeks, but we're always practicing like ADCC rule set. We always like, I think once or twice a week, we'll do like a couple of ADCC rounds. Obviously when it starts to get a bit closer, we'll probably drop some of our gi sessions and make them primarily no gi, just because I know there's a few of us going to trials this time around. And I think our main camp is going to be starting from the beginning of April. Um, Ash has actually booked to uh, do basically a camp in Gran Canaria. So some of our team will be flying out to Gran Canaria to start our ADCC trials camp there because it's like a good place where we can start, but we can also rest really well because the first week will always be that hardest week. <laughs> I can imagine so. Yeah. And how how is like... Is this your first experience where, given that you you were so underweight, I put that in for those who, obviously, this is only audio, but I've done the exclamation, not quotation marks, exclamation marks. Um, how was that? As Is that your first experience of kind of purposely kind of trying to build uh, mass and size and for specifically for competition? And is, is that something that you've had to get used to? It has definitely been difficult. It is the first time I've ever tried to gain weight. I've done the cutting weight a few times, but this is the first time I've had to try and gain any weight. Like, I'm my calories at the moment, I'm on like 2,200 calories, which to some people doesn't sound a lot, but my weight is not going up. So we know they've got to go up at some point. And it makes me realize, though, like how much I was under eating before, which a lot of people might not realize as athletes. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, you probably eat enough. And then I started eating these calories and I was like oh wait no wonder my weight was just random and like would fluctuate a lot because I wasn't eating enough and it was something I realized but yeah it's the first time I've ever done it and it's hard like I don't do well with eating this much food and it's about to get worse and I'm very aware it's gonna get worse because I have been pre-warned so I'm just like okay cool I'll be eating more food very soon and uh the thing is, is there's there's putting on, you know, there's eating food just to put on weight. And if you're a bodybuilder and you want to just put on, and then there's eating well and yep. eating I'm, a lot of calories. I'm lucky that, like, obviously working with Tom and Grapple Machine, he's like, we'll work it that you've got to do, like, certain percent lean and, like, quite nah, like, eating, like, your rice, potatoes, chicken and stuff like that. And he's like, you can have a certain percentage of just eating whatever the hell you want. And if that means nice. sitting there with a tub of ice cream to get your calories up, he's like, just do it. I don't care. Which is really helpful, especially like when you're lifting, the last thing sometimes you want to do is go home and then eat like a piece of chicken and rice over and over again, where you could just eat like a chocolate bar. We as a team love squares bars, like the little rice crispy bars. Yes, those <laughs> are the best. Right. Squares need to realize that the jujitsu community, especially people who know, I nicked this from uh, Ben Robson, that squares rice cake bars, like the square stuff, 
that is the shit to have. I have a whole, I always have four in my bag at jujitsu comps. I don't care if I've got one fight or 10. Yep. That, that shit is in my bag because there's nothing like a little shot of glucose yep. just before your fight. You see them getting thrown around our tra- training room all the time. Like somebody's <laughs> like, one, one, they just get launched across the room and you're like, yep. And then the boys are always comparing which ones they like more, which ones they don't like. It's amazing. But we all literally just live on them. Like, especially after training, there's such a quick hit of carbs. And like, we're all just like, this is amazing. But obviously if I wasn't allowed to eat that type of stuff, yeah. Then that would just be, I'd just be sitting there with like my rice, just trying to shovel it in. But I like chocolate. So just being able to stop and know I got like, if you've had a bad training session, I get a squares bar at the end of it. <laughs> is is it going to be a squares bar for you? Or have you got, have you got things in mind in like when the calories go up? Have you got something in mind? It's probably going to have to be milkshakes. I'm going to be demolishing to get the calories in. Honestly, I spoke to Tom about it and he was like, you might just have to sit there scooping peanut butter in your mouth i don't know what you're gonna do he's gonna like it's like we have to figure it out the thing is peanut butter is really because it's so sticky it's like gonna be hard to weigh you know put it on a scale if you want to yep. i might just have to stick it on like a piece of chocolate and just like weigh that as a whole perfect <laughs> do you know what if that's the sacrifice you have to make then if I make athletes sound like my lifestyle sound really hard when I get to eat like peanut butter on top of a chocolate square, it's amazing. I, I, I'm I'm sure that is there a little bit of you that wants to. Obviously, you want to support your fellow teammates, but is there a little bit of you that wants to kind of send to some of the other guys, just be like, oh, that's just post training food. It's get, it's getting really hard. Well, at the moment, there's one of our team, my teammates, Aiden, cut in for an MMA fight. And, like, legitimately, if he gets on my nerves, I might just sit there and be like, look at what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> just wind up the team. To be fair, our team's pretty good at just looking at each other and being like, it's fine. I'll be, like, yeah. winning next week and just demolishing a bar of chocolate. And I'm like, I get to do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> my vengeance will come. Yep. They'll do it when I have to cut weight one day and I'm just sitting there really sad and they're just locking at me, licking like an ice cream and I'm like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, it always comes around. It does. <laughs> um, and now I know one of the other goals that you had um, over the kind of past couple of years was to get on Polaris, which you have now fought on. Yep. Um, uh, how was that? How was having a win on Polaris and... Uh, kind of fighting on a show that your teammates have fought on maybe got a teammate that's a champion on and and being able to display your jiu-jitsu on a show like that it was a great fun honestly like it was um obviously in Newport as well so it was like 45 minutes hour away from home so we had a massive team showing as well I think we sold just under 100 tickets to friends family of our team and it was obviously something like you said I really wanted to do and that was like a goal over time of me being on it and it was one of the greatest experiences obviously as well because we had I think there was like eight of us maybe on the card from drag so it was great fun because like we're all sitting in the changing room in the back winding each other up just casually throwing banter around the room but we we're also there to keep each other kind of chilled and like calm because obviously when you're going out onto that stage it's a little bit more nerve-wracking because you're the only person being watched. <laughs> so we were just, like, winding each other up and trying to keep each other calm, be really, like... We were all... A few of us were in the same boat. I think 
all of us plot ash we're in the same boat so we all kind of like shared each other's nerves and excitement and everything that was happening so it was great fun and like obviously it was it's a very professionally run show so it was nice to experience like that level of jiu-jitsu and like how big that promotion is now like experiencing how they run how much fun they are but like just being treated as a jiu-jitsu athlete and not just somebody like Jeff make you pay a hundred quid to turn up and they're like here's a free t-shirt like at least in Polaris either way you're treated as an athlete and they're like do you need anything like we'll get you it we'll help you out you need to do this you need to do that and like obviously it was on prelims but it was still such an amazing experience to do it that uh that that must have been like if you went back to like small ashley who was competing in the hereford open in the back of a pub like if you told her then that oh by the way you're going to be competing in front of this do you think she would have believed you 15 year old me wouldn't have believed you (laughs) 15-year-old me in school was being told, find a realistic dream, find a realistic job. And now I'm like, well, I got to spend my Saturday night in front of a home crowd fighting and doing what I always wanted to do. Five-year-old me would have probably genuinely looked at a DS, because that's where I used to, I used to play with my DS at the side of the yeah. mat. And then I'd have probably gone, no, and just carried on playing <laughs> with my toys. Apparently, Meanwhile, I've caught this new Pokemon. Yeah, apparently I used to play with a doll, just play with my doll. Pump stuff down, go and fight, come back, carry on playing with my doll. Five year old me probably would have just done that again. That's, I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that that's probably the amount of interest a five year old would pay to that kind of comment. Yeah, they'd have been like, oh, are you going to fight and be paid to do jiu jitsu? Nah, we're going to be like some random hairdresser or like you're going to be a doctor. I don't think five year old me would have believed jiu jitsu would have been the route I would have gone down. <laughs> Even like teenage me would have probably been like, Nah, you won't be doing that because everyone just thinks you need to be realistic and do a different job. Uh, Family is such a massive aspect of people's lives and especially around athletes and the influence they have. uh, Both support and if your family, you know, if you've got jujitsu in the family as well. How much of an impact was that, that you had that kind of support system behind you, but also they kind of and understood the trials of tribulations of jiu-jitsu specifically as well it's extremely helpful and like obviously growing up my parents were willing to just be like you need to be in this part of the country to compete cool let's go they never second guessed it even like when I started competing internationally they never second guessed taking me to a competition like if I was like I Mm -hmm. want to compete here they'd be like cool we'll figure it out and, like, when I went to uni, we just basically had an agreement that I'd, like, I was, like, obviously 18, like, I can't drive from the States. So I'd be, like, my parents would be, like, you pay for one of us to come with you. We'll come, we'll take you. We'll figure it out. And, like, obviously having that support network around me. And, like you said, my dad trains. And growing up, obviously having that to be, like, come on, then, let's go to jiu-jitsu. Or, like, if I was competing, he'd always be able to, like, corner me if somebody wasn't around but it was very, it's very helpful to have, like, people that can... They don't... Do you know, some people probably don't get that support. They don't get that constant encouragement from their families. And I'm very lucky that I always had that encouragement. Like, if I'd have said one day I don't want to do it, they'd have been like, cool. But they'd always encourage me and support me in whatever choices I made. I left school and I wanted to go full-time jiu-jitsu when I was 16. But between my parents and Chris, they were like, 
like there's probably not your wisest idea because that was nearly 10 years ago and mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu definitely wasn't what it is now so the opportunities to earn money were very slim so they were like look you get your degree we will continue to help you and fund you as much as you can we can and that was kind of like our agreement is that I just kept going through education and they would support me no matter what. And that was the only time that they were like, they stepped in and they were like, you need to do this. Otherwise, they were like, we will support you in whatever choice you make. When I left university and decided to make jujitsu my full time job, I was just like, if this fails, then that's on me. And they were like, we'll help you out if it fails. We will support you whatever happens we'll be there to support you and help you pick it back up or pick up what we need to to help you move on but thankfully that never happened like I've always been able to make at this moment in time make jiu-jitsu work as a career and they're just supportive of it like I'm very lucky though that our gym is also amazing and is able to support I think we have seven or eight full-time coaches and I'm lucky that they're there but my parents are also being like Look, if that doesn't work out, there's options. There's something about maybe say uh, maybe the term safety net isn't the best thing for it, but there's something about having that element of knowing that regardless of what happens, it's fine. Mm-hmm. That can can really make a difference to you approaching something. If anything, like when you're a kid and you parent tells you yeah just go for it like don't worry about just go for it It doesn't matter what happens like we'll just you know we'll go again or we'll do something else it can make a a stark difference in how someone approaches something yeah like I think they definitely were like look just shoot your shot my the education thing was just like they were like you need something to fall back on and obviously like 16 year old me hated the idea 20 like four year old me now is a bit more like yeah, that was probably a smart move for 16-year-old me. But it makes me, re- like, it's always a backup option, basically. All they provided for me was basically, if jiu-jitsu doesn't work out, you have a route that you can go down. Even though it is sports coaching, I, like, I work it, I'd be in that area. No matter what, I have that route to go into. And it's definitely, like, if someone's behind you going, just go for it, just live your dream, basically, then it's definitely easier than if someone's going yeah but that's not realistic that's not something you should do because that would obviously pull people back and mean that they don't want to kind of kind of in a way spread their wings and just go for it you kind of get more of a fear of failing rather than just wanting to succeed in something I think if you haven't got the support network and the people kind of just like shoving you to have a go at it because, like, whatever I go for, my parents would be like, just go, just do it. Like, you take your own steps, but you figure it out, you do it. We'll always, like, they basically just funded my jiu-jitsu to career until I turned 18. Then I used my student loan to fund my jiu-jitsu career. It's great, those student loans. Oh, it was amazing. It was, like, free money to just be like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to world. Don't have any of it anymore because I spent it all on jiu-jitsu. Hey, did you have to hold yourself back going, oh, I fancy a new gi? Thankfully, I was already sponsored by Tatami at this uh, point. So I've been sponsored by Tatami since I was 13. Otherwise, I would have spent all my money on new geese as well. <laughs> suddenly, like, walking in all fresh. Like, oh, must have the student loans kicked in. Yeah, be new gear every few weeks. To be fair, my parents, like, <laughs> if Tatami didn't sponsor you, they were like, I don't know what the hell we would have done <laughs> for you because you would have been 
literally we'd have had to have like 10 geese for you the amount you're training you know tons of rash guards thankfully that wasn't a worry and they just got to put that into jiu-jitsu it's great it's great sometimes things do work out exactly i didn't have to keep spending a hundred pound on a new gi every week geese are expensive do you know what kids grow anyway but let alone like like trying to buy like my mum hated the fact that she i used to go through like pairs of school shoes like a ridiculous speed because my feet kept growing let alone like pet when parents spend money on geese and stuff i feel bad for like some geese are obviously super expensive and honestly i whenever like a kid comes to us and they're like size up my geese for me i'm like you can roll the sleeves up on them yeah i'm like the little little kids i'm like just roll the sleeves up on them i'm like it's a little bit big it'll probably shrink roll the sleeves it'll be fine for another year i'm like you don't need to be buying like another 50 pound in another like two months i i reckon that you should have like the comp gee and then but that is only used at competitions that's it if like ibjjf there's someone measuring kids geese that's the that's the one gee and you only break it out in comps the rest of it is rolled up sleeves you've got like an a a2 men's if you're a boy and you can grow into it yep honestly some of my geese or my teammates grip them and they're like this is illegal I'm like, it's a competition gear passes gear check shut up it's great <laughs> That it it just it's just ridiculous. Like I I I think that I would just tell like kids like maybe maybe you do no gi this year and we'll save you a bit we'll save a bit of money. Yeah. We can go on we can go on holiday this year if you only do no gi. I just walk around folding four year olds geese up all the time because they're like really long and like they're covering <laughs> their feet and I'm like you're gonna fall over and I just roll them up and I'm like oh these are basically like rolling up half your leg right now. <laughs> It's the way I get it now. You know, when you like your parents gave you hand-me-downs from mm-hmm. your cousins and stuff. I totally get it now. I get why my mum would buy a blazer, a school blazer, <laughs> like two times the size of me. It's basically buying like a blazer for school, just in geese. Everyone just yeah. needs a gi that's twice the size that they need. <laughs> all the all schools need to do now is just bring in geese instead of blazers, yeah. and then we've solved two problems. Exactly. They just walk around and you're like, make use of it. Nobody'd yeah. mind spending 50 quid on a gi then. Yeah. And you you know, you're cold in the winter, well your blazer's not gonna do much, but your gi will keep you warm. You think that? I'm always freezing in my gi as well. <laughs> There's only so many hoodies and stuff that you can yeah. wear under your gi as yeah. well. When I was like younger, I used to wear like three pairs of leggings, my gi trousers. I'd have like t shirt, rash guard, hoodie. And then, like, another T-shirt or something. And then I'd have my gi on. I literally felt like the Michelin man. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is, like, especially if you're, uh, if depending on what kind of person you are and you, you bruise easily or not, like, if someone's, like, knee sliding you, you've got that extra layer of protection. Uh, I, I wish it was for that reason I wore the layers, not that I just froze every time i was in the gym i froze anyway the gym was just a colder environment (laughs) early morning class in the winter at a gym is something to be beholden i don't do early morning classes our training oh i love an early morning class oh 6 45 in the morning it's the best class our early morning class i think is at 6 15 and i'm like i'm asleep for another three hours past that class we start at 10 a.m and i'm happy with 10 a.m is are you are you more of a, a night owl than an early morning class? No, I just like I literally would be in bed at like eleven o'clock and wake up at nine a.m. 
I am the person that can sleep for like a good 10 hours. Sleep is under, again, going back to like living the life of an athlete, like people underrate sleep. Yep. Honestly, that's one of the things that's actually in our like check in every week is how much sleep have you had that week? Like some of one of my teammates, he's amazing at nutrition and stuff, but every time he has terrible sleep, but he will rant at you of how good sleep is for you. And he's like, it's sleep. And that's the top thing. Like you could do nothing else, but if you sleep correctly, you're going to be way ahead of people that don't sleep correctly. If you've got abs, they ain't going to do you any good if you're too tired to use them. No, if you're out like every night and you're having like two, three hours sleep, you ain't going to be good at jujitsu. And if you are, you are definitely on something else other than just jujitsu. Yeah, there's only (laughs) so much caffeine and rockstar that will get you that'll get you through maybe round one you'll you'll die round two i think see i don't drink caffeine i like i don't like coffee i am the opposite of a jiu-jitsu athlete in that respect so i think my sleep has to keep me going yeah i upset a lot of people i'm like <laughs> i don't drink coffee and they're like how do you have energy and i'm like sleep sleep just lots of sleep sleep and food <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Sleep with peanut butter slathered on yeah, chocolate. Yeah, just keep going peanut butter scoops halfway through the night. That'll keep you completely dead to rights in the night. <laughs> well, I think that breathes nicely into the last part of the interview, which is um, I do a quick fire round, and cool. you've just ruined one of the quick fire round questions because <laughs> it's what what's your coffee order? So, Not like coffee. <laughs> so I've, I'm going to change it. I'll just I'm say sure. hot chocolate. Because if I'm drinking a hot drink, that's what I'm going for. How bougie do you have your hot chocolate? I can be basic or bougie. Yeah. I'll just drink hot chocolate. Chocolate's like king. I will drink it in any way. In any form, chocolate can be consumed. I just like really like chocolate. When I was weight cutting before, I had 1,200 calories. I made room for chocolate. That's great. <laughs> Uh, that, that that see there's dedication to that that like that, that i can respect that level is that i don't care how miserable it makes me i will say i will spare each day to find room for chocolate me and one of my teammates ira were literally like have you eaten chocolate today yes all day both of us are obsessed with it we buy chocolate for each other after tournaments everything and we're just both like you replaced uh one of your snacks with a bar of chocolate yes yes we did <laughs> Suddenly finding chocolate bars that fit the calories. Yep. Or you just kind of go dark chocolate when you're cutting weight. Dark, yeah. And the little happy hippo things, they're amazing. The kinder happy hippos, they're the best way to hit your chocolate fix. Little dark chocolate is 76 calories for a row of four. Oh, nice. I need to make up weight. That's that you know you'd buy a lot of chocolate when you know that um okay well that goes into our first quick fire question which is what is the best chocolate bar oh i like just plain chocolate any sort of like dairy milk or galaxy chocolate but i okay, have a bit of an obsession with milka oh so you've you see you've just kind of flirt so are we uh, is there a tendency to a lighter chocolate then I a lighter like, chocolate milk yeah milk chocolate but milk has been my thing at the moment. <laughs> I went to Rome and just kept demolishing it. And I was like, I remember why I like this so much. Tom Barry done that in Poland every day. He demolished a bar of milk. And he's like, it's becoming a problem. 
turn it up and like opening the door and is there and there are rappers all over him and he's like just uh, I've, i had to we just kept stopping at every supermarket for him to buy a bar of milk and we're like tom you can't keep doing this at least at least like trials isn't in somewhere like belgium then that would be a big problem for you it wouldn't be a problem for me i fight 60 kilos it'd be a problem for everyone yeah. cutting to 66 <laughs> That's true. That's true. You'd be having a great time. I'd be there just like laying surrounded by it. <laughs> like a, almost setting a challenge, if you will. I'd love it. <laughs> Have you tried Tony's chocolate? No. Oh. oh, Tony's chocolate is good. It's like reminiscent of what I can only describe as like a classic, you know, like a Willy Wonka style bar of chocolate. I need some. It's like thick and like <laughs> when you break it, it's like it got a good it's got a good break to a chocolate bar. I need it. I will try it. <laughs> Tony's chocolate. They, if a hundred percent, you'll fit in some calories with Tony's. It's like chocolate. a free ad just for Tony's chocolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. I competed yesterday, and so I'm not. I've not got to make way for anything for a while. <laughs> so, like, life is glorious right now. I think one of my next fights obviously on Polaris, and it's fifty nine kilos. I'm fine. <laughs> Uh, next quick fire one is uh, acai, yay or nay? I like it. It tastes a bit like bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best description I've had yet. Uh, something you wish you could tell yourself when you were uh, t- tell your younger self? Just keep going for it. At the end of the day, whatever anyone else is saying, if you want to do it, go for it. Do you have a hidden talent? No, I have Can no you do hidden a... talent. <laughs> you... I'm talking from like. Being able to twist your tongue to doing Rubik's Cubes really fast. I can't do a Rubik's Cube, even with like a YouTube tutorial. <laughs> not can I. I literally am like, hmm, I don't know. Probably not. I just do dumb things and they tend to pay off. <laughs> I think Rubik's Cubes, I, I think that what someone has done is they've created an unnecessary challenge. Yeah, nobody needs that in their life. When I watch people do them really quick, I'm like, nah. I'll just stick to like watching you. (laughs) Who wants a Rubik's Cube when you can pick up a Game Boy and play Pokemon, right? Exactly. Like I've just played Zelda on my Nintendo Switch. I'm done. Yes. (laughs) Oh, okay then. Well, uh, that I'll add a question then. Uh, Favorite video game? Is is it Zelda? Probably at the moment. Yeah, Zelda. I'm not very good at it. (laughs) I was trying to play Spiral before, which is a kid's game for like, from PlayStation 1, but I've got it on my Switch. And honestly, I had to ask my brother to help me comp- like get past some of the levels. I'm like, he's like, this is a game for like five-year-old kids. And I'm like, I can't play it. As as a gamer, I will say that I we also have the Spyro trilogy on Switch. First one, pretty relatively alright. Spyro from 2, <laughs> right from the phone. Spyro 2 is a hard game. I um, didn't manage to complete Spiral 1 yet because I'm okay. fed up with the flying ones. I've completed every other level, but yeah. the flying levels. The flying ones are hard. I was literally like, I crashed too many times. And then I sat on a plane for like an hour once and I just gave up. <laughs> uh, at least they'll keep you busy. If you've got to have like uh, a huge gap between your ADCC matches again, you could just play some Zelda. You'll find like Spyro. three of us laying in a pile in the corner, just playing Mario Kart or something as well. Who wins at Mario Kart? I'm very competitive at Mario Kart. It's normally me. <laughs> I will play. Who do you Jersey. pick? Peach. We got okay. Princess Peach. 
do you do you go motorbike or car car uh it's all about wario in the motorbike that's where it's at <laughs> i have no control over the motorbikes <laughs> it, i i like wario's like just nascent kind of evilness <laughs> He just has a sneakiness about him. I think that's what my brother used to play at when we played as kids. Yeah, it was a peach. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, uh, dream opponent. Oh, honestly, anyone they give me. Like I've got Margot coming up, and she's an amazingly talented jiu-jitsu fighter. So that's going to be like a great, great, great match. Like. I'm very lucky now that all the people I've kind of looked up to are now becoming my opponents. If I remember Ash speaking about it years ago, being like, it's a bit weird, like looking at this guy and now I'm facing him on the mat and now I get to do that. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> do you sometimes kind of have moments that are almost like deja vu or kind of like that you, you suddenly go outside of yourself? Yeah, I'm always a bit like, wait, I get to fight this person. But then I also get to be like, one day people are going to be thinking that about me. Like, there's people out there going, I want to fight Ashley Bendel. And I'm like, that's insane to me. No, you don't want to fight me. I'm like, you want to fight me? What about, like, that girl? What about, like, <laughs> like Shazari Matuda or even Theo? What about them? You want to fight me? Favourite meal or go-to meal? Either steak or some sort of pasta. But every time I've had that question around, like, my teammates, when we say pasta, we normally get ridiculed for picking such a basic option. If it's basics done well, there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. I want Italian fresh pasta, not, like, some random yeah. one that you pick up in the UK. No, like, a good, like, I mean, like, with lots of cheese and slowly yeah. cooked. Just basics. Or just steak. Steak's always good. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and the final question is, if someone could play you in a movie, who would it be and what kind of movie would it be? So an actor and then a type of movie. God. I have no idea. I've never thought about that. <laughs> it's a good question, right? I love I'm this question. Like, hmm. So I leave it to the final question in every interview. I sometimes think Jennifer Lawrence, just because she's such an awkward random human being like i feel like she'd fit very well as part of reenacting my life she she gives off like drake like cra vibes yeah Yeah, i can see her in your team (laughs) just being a bit awkward a little bit weird a little bit friendly just winding people up we'd be great and it'd probably just be a comedy let's be honest most like parts of being an athlete are always serious it's also just a lot of fun i like that yeah i can i can imagine you the jennifer lawrence like Wales. Yeah. if if jennifer lawrence was from wales um and she's not done a welsh accent yet so this this could be a movie i we think she'd fit in well with the banter of our team and just the winding up for each other so it'd be great we wind each other up a lot so it'd be great fun to watch her try and fit into that one <laughs> well um that's uh that's a great way to end the interview best of luck for coming up for trials for making sure that you eat enough chocolate and for all things. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. To keep up to date with all our latest stuff, follow us at The Prodigy Podcast on Instagram.